0: Uh, Jimmy, thank you so much for uh, the prayer that you prayed and Kendall for uh, the good song leading tonight throughout the week. As we were singing, each step I take, I thought of uh, my dear friend and somebody I respect greatly, Brother Gary Sandusky, who's perhaps taking his last steps uh, on this earth. He has been uh, a great worker in the kingdom. I asked one time, uh, Gary, how, how many meetings are you preaching every year? You go, well, how, however many they ask me to preach. Well, I said, well, how many is that? You go, oh, 15 or 16. It's like, and doing full-time local work. I mean, that guy was a laborer. And uh, he's dealing with a very serious uh, form of cancer uh, that seems to be uh, ending his sojourn here. And so prayers for the Sandusky. It's a good family. Prayers uh, for his family. This time. Each step I take until the last step shall be taken. And uh, may the Lord bless us as we walk this journey to Him. We are people who spend our lives going somewhere, going to God, and whose path for getting there is the way, Jesus Christ. And hopefully, I've said some things to uh, shed light for you on what the nature of this journey involves and the expectations that our God has, and it's been good to uh, get to know Drew a little bit. Of course, I've known Leon and Alma for a long time, and uh, Leon wanted me to come to Mount Pleasant, and he told me about that, oh, it was five years ago or longer, and it finally came to pass, and I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to be in your lovely town, and to be with you people who love the Lord and who want to go to heaven. And as I said earlier, that's not a pipe dream. We can go to heaven. And by God's help, we will arrive there. He is involved in our lives as his people. We should not be thinking, well, I, I might make it. It's, it's a possibility. He who began a good work in you will complete it at the day of the Lord Jesus. What a verse in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And after we have suffered for a little while, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, we will experience that eternal glory. That has been reserved for us. We should have every confidence of where we are headed and that we are indeed those who belong to Jesus Christ. And so I want to thank you for all the kindnesses that you've shown Della and me this week. Uh, the meals, uh, some excellent cuisine, whether it is in a restaurant or in people's uh, homes. And you've just, you've just been so good to us. And uh, thank you thank you for everything and i appreciate your prayers uh, on our behalf walk daily humbly with your king tonight we're going to conclude in first peter first peter chapter 1 peter is writing to a diverse audience in a number of regions But they are the chosen of God, in verse 1, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that is, set apart for God's purposes that the Spirit outlines for us in His Word, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, the saving blood of Jesus. May grace and peace be yours In the fullest measure. I like that. Grace and peace. The whole thing. As much as possible. In the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his great mercy. Has caused us to be born again. Whatever we are in Christ or hope to be, it is because of the great mercy of our God. He has caused us to be born again unto something. Born again to a living hope. This is a hope that is real. This is a hope that is live. This is a vibrant hope. This is a living hope based on Our understanding and assurance that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Sort of is a good follow-up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our hopes in the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ promises a resurrection of his followers. So, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. Boy, that's... That's a good thing. In fact, it's the richest inheritance you'll ever have. An inheritance which is imperishable. This word is used in the New Testament only of things that come from God. And it is said of God himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17, the word imperishable and undefiled and will not. It's not corrupted like things in this world. Are corrupted. Over time they get run down. Or they fade. Not this inheritance. It is undefiled and will not fade away. And it's reserved in heaven. For you. You who are protected. By the power of God. You know we've got heavenly assistance. You are protected by the power of God. Through faith. Your confidence. Your trust in this God who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. But that's not all negative. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Wow, three awesome things. Praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And, though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Try as we might, we cannot even really verbalize the wonders of this hope, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. This is where it's going. This is the awesome outcome. Paul spoke about that in Romans chapter 6, the outcome of our faith. And this salvation that we're a part of are things that the prophets spoke of. They made careful search and inquiry into these things, wanting to know when the Messiah was coming, what was going to be involved in the Messiah's reign. They wanted to understand what we can look back in their messages and see in the Old Testament. Things into which, I love this, angels longed to look. This was God's mystery. Even angels were on the outside looking in to see what God would bring about. If the rulers of this age had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. These are things that we partake in that angels long. To look into, therefore, because you possess this hope, gird your minds for action. Go to work. Keep sober in spirit. As our brother prayed after my lesson last night from 1 Corinthians 15, be sober-minded as you ought, and stop sinning. He says, I speak this to your shame. You have no knowledge of God, he says. Therefore, gird your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you, the favor of God to be brought to you at the revelation, the unfolding, the reappearing of Jesus Christ. And we could keep reading in this context as to what obedient and holy children are supposed to do But what I want to observe by way of introduction is what this living hope that we have is designed to do for us. And I want to make three observations about our hope an appreciation of our hope, understanding what it is that is awaiting us, all of God's intentions for us, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And that involves, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, not just the final destination and the glories of that, but everything God intended for us to experience as His children in Christ. Eye hath not seen, and ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man. All of those things that God was preparing and ultimately involves our eternal, imperishable home. In his presence and in his understanding of, of this hope, what is actually being offered to us, something that transcends anything in this world and everything in this world. It is a hope of the next world, complete bliss, eternal pleasure in the presence of our God. Not a single dull or boring moment. Not a single moment of want or need. All is fulfilled. All sorrows vanquished. All temptation gone. Utter, total, indescribable. Every moment satisfied, eternal bliss. It fuels coming to the Lord. It is why we keep molding ourselves after the image of Christ and becoming more like Him. It is our anchor through the storms of life. Did you see that in First Peter chapter 1? There could be some challenging things come your way, if necessary, various trials. It is anchors. It is an anchor for us in the midst of the storms of life. And then this thought, which I want to share most of all tonight. This living hope that Peter describes should be our most fervent longing. There are so many things that vie for our affections in this world. But this hope that we have should be the most fervent thing that we desire as we walk and sojourn here and we walk daily and humbly with our King. It reminds me of Psalm 42. The attitude that was the sentiment of David's heart when he said as the deer pants for the water brooks so my soul pants for you oh God you know sometimes people don't like a lot of the new songs you know that I, I don't like those new hymns I don't know what I'm singing you know and and it's almost like if a song's not at least 100 years old, we shouldn't be singing it. A lot of times older people object, oh, I don't like all the new songs. And and perhaps there's something to be said about not singing all new songs on Sunday morning. I, I get that. But you know, everything was once a new song. What is the, one of the oldest songs? Uh, the lyrics written by Martin Luther, I think, goes back to the 1500s, uh, Oh, I'm drawing a blank now, but I got t- "Mighty Fortress." You know the, the the bass lyrics. The bass is, the, is terrible. I mean, I, I can't stand singing that. You know, I guess the melody is fine, but the bass is. I don't know who wrote that. I mean, nobody can really sing that. And and it's but but that's a good one. It's a good oldie. The Apostle Paul sang it. Well, not if it was written in the 1500s. He, he didn't. It was a new song once. And I bring that up about this verse because I remember exactly where I was standing when I sang As the Deer for the very first time. And I remember singing it in the aisle at the east side building that Richard has preached in uh, for a number of years, actually, uh, way back when, 70s, early 80s. And I was standing right there in the aisle of that building and Lindy Murph said, hey, have you all heard this song? And and we started singing it right there in the aisle, it was the very first time I'd ever sung it. And well, that's an old song now. You know, we've been singing that one a long time. So just remember that when a new song is entered. D- you probably don't even need a book now to sing as the deer. Don't be don't be rejecting songs just because they're new. Some of them will stand the test of time and some of them won't. Okay, that's my soapbox about new songs. Okay. Back to Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I wonder how many people sitting in pews like this don't really get what David is saying there. That's sad. There's something missing in our understanding if that's the case. There's something missing in our understanding of our hope, if that's the case. If our very soul is not thirsty to be in the presence of God. And here's the thing. I'm not so sure that the first application of Psalm 42 is heaven. I think he's talking about coming into the temple area for worship. I think that's the first application of coming into his presence that he's talking about. He he was just glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 122 and verse 1. He's just talking about being in God's presence for worship. Now, ultimately, of course, the tentacles of that reach to eternity. But this is the thirst. And that's why he writes all of these psalms. And, of course, there's this in the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 3, you know the verse, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. Well, we've been talking about being a Texan, moving to Texas. Who's really a Texan? Who just claims to be one? I've mentioned all of that already. But uh, we're proud of that Texas citizenship. Well, should we not be even more rejoicing that our citizenship is in heaven? But you know, there's a couple of verses that precede that. Instead of being excited about that heavenly citizenship and being in this place from which we eagerly await for the return of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state. Oh, Leon's had some knee exercises today. It's it's a humble state, isn't it, brother? When the limbs aren't working like they should be working. But isn't it great that you can get a knee replacement? But our humble state, He will transform into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has to subject all things to Himself. You're going to be a new making model that you're really going to like in eternity. But some don't focus on that. He has admonished these brethren to follow after His example, but He says, For many walk... Of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. He's he's not talking about unbelievers here. Oh, it would include them. But his concerns are with believers who find themselves in this state. They are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite And whose glory is in their shame. Who set their minds. On earthly things. Well how many things is that? Earthly things. There's all kinds of earthly things. That can occupy the affections of our heart. More. Than our heavenly. Citizenship. We must. Dedicate our hearts beyond this realm. Last night I said briefly something about 1 Corinthians 15, let us eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And Paul basically saying what he would say in Philippians chapter 1 and that is don't put all of your eggs in the now basket. Our hopes are dedicated outside of this world. And I might suggest to you also that what we do in this building, we've got to get outside of this building and take it to the very throne of God. What, you know what Paul said in Philippians 1, right? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is that the way you look at things? You know, my, my purpose here, What I've been called to do, how I've been called to think and live, it's all wrapped up in Christ. As we said in Colossians 3, my life is hidden with Christ in God. For to me to live is Christ, but I'm not going to be here forever. To die is gain. That's one of the things that I think about a lot, having lost my parents this summer, is as sad as I am, to have lost my relationship with them here, I mean, they were rocks to me, and what I would have done tomorrow on the way home, I would have called my mom and dad and talked to them about this gospel meeting and all the things that happened, and they would listen to all my stories, all the things that happened, like when I was bleeding profusely during the Bible class yesterday morning, and... That had never happened before. But you know what? They're better off. They're in a much better place now than I am. And that's why Paul would say, if I am to live on in the flesh, this would mean fruitful labor for me. I don't know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ... For that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Notice, it wasn't about, if I can stay here, then that's benefiting to me. Because I, I get to stay here longer. That, that, I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days. Well, that's the only part of that song I really don't like. Uh, oh, yes, I'll live in glory. Or as brother Dave. Old Brother Day in Beaumont prayed, Lord, we want to go to heaven. We just don't want to go right now. I'll never forget that prayer. <laughs> we laughed about that for a week. But, I, but that's really the sentiment. That's the sentiment of that song. I'd like to stay here longer than man's allotted days. I, I don't know about you, but I don't. I <laughs> uh, just I don't want to. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I want to take you from that thought to James chapter 5. I want to show you something here. James 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now the hard part of that verse is the last part, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Was it essential oils? What exactly was the practice there? And we'll provide an answer for that. I'll get Leon and Drew on that right away after I, let, after I leave, and so they'll answer any questions you have on that anointing with oil because I'm not going to talk about that tonight but I am going to talk about what he instructs elders to do here the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up somebody said well that's that's not physical illness that's spiritual illness no it's not no it's not because he says and if he has committed sins that's if he has committed sins, that's the spiritual illness in the passage. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. So prayer can accomplish more than just the recovery of the sick physically. It can certainly do even more, and even more should be emphasized, their spiritual recovery, if sins are involved. But this is talking about physical illness. If any among you is sick, let him call for the elders. Okay, boys, are you ready? get your hazmat suits on and get on over there because you're being put in harm's way. And that makes me think of this thing that I'd never heard of before until last year when we carved up the world in six-foot increments because everybody was dangerous. How does that fit in James chapter 5? I don't see it. And I would just suggest to you that some of that, some of that, especially as it relates to the interaction of the Lord's people, is antithetical to fellowship. And I tell you, when brothers and sisters are walking like this around other brothers and sisters, I want to suggest to you that that is antithetical to fellowship. And if that's a big word for you, I mean it's an opposite to what fellowship is all about. He is sending those elders into harm's way. And I say that emphatically. But then again, there's something else going on here. Do not forget that God is involved in bringing these elders into the presence of sick people. He doesn't say if it's a certain kind of illness uh, or how communicable it is. He doesn't say anything about that. He's just sending the elders. And so there's another factor involved in this, and it's from Psalm 31 and verse 15. The thought is, my times are in your hand. God knows when these elders go into the presence of the sick that he will preserve them if he so desires. God's hand is involved in this. And I think sometimes we discount that in the equation. That's what I love about the statement made to Belshazzar in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 23 when he said, your life, your days, and your ways, they're in the hand of God. He says, you don't realize who's ultimately in control of your breasts. Your breath is in the hand of God. And we know what happens to Belshazzar. His breaths are taken away that very night. Because he did not honor the God of heaven. Don't put all of your eggs in the now basket. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when men cast insults. This is the part of the Beatitudes that uh, we perhaps don't spend as much time with. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed if you suffer for the cause and even if you die early. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice. Look at verse 12. Rejoice and be glad even though you've missed out on a lot of stuff on earth. I'm not reading that there. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. So they persecuted The prophets who were before you. Your reward in heaven is great, Jesus said. And so I have this question as I talk about our hope tonight, is it really our living hope, or is it merely the consolation prize? Sounds wonderful. It's certainly better than the other alternative. We certainly don't want to go there and so I'll choose this one it's like the consolation prize is that all it is or is it truly that which we're clinging to above all else rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great there are implications I mean I'm Only in my 50s. I'm a really young man. And if I were to leave right now, that would probably be devastating to Della and my two children. Make Della want to join me even more. We sort of envision maybe a day when the Lord will return and we can go up to meet the Lord together in the air. Wouldn't that be awesome? Maybe so. But don't cry, don't cry for me. Cling tenaciously to the next world. As I was writing this lesson, Della mentioned, uh, she goes, isn't there a song, a religious song that says don't cry for me? And uh, she couldn't get much beyond that other than the title, and so I went looking for it to see what that song said. And I came across this song written by Libby Allen. And it had some really wonderful lyrics. Don't cry for me. Don't shed a tear. I've been set free. No need to fear. God spoke to me. My time has come. He made a way to bring me home. My pain is gone forever. My body's been made whole. We'll soon be back together. I'm well within my soul. I saw the light. I took his hand. We flew on high to promised land. My soul lives on to a better place, with all his glory, with all his grace. Don't cry for me. Yes, of course we're going to cry. We've lost something. We've lost a relationship that we can't get back on this side of eternity. But let us be comforted in knowing where they are now. Come join me in the great after a while. Don't cry for me. And certainly the Bible understands our need to weep when we lose a loved one. And we are to weep with those who weep. Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. But we need to remind ourselves that our hope is where it's really all, all about. And if we have, certainly if we have knowledge that our loved one is experiencing that hope, that they're better off. And so I found this song. Della says, that's not the one. (laughs) And the song she was actually referencing is not called Don't Cry For Me. It's called All My Tears by Selah. When I die, don't cry for me. In my father's arms, I'll be. Once these wounds left on my soul will all be healed and I'll be whole. Sun and moon will be replaced with the light of Jesus' face. And I will not be ashamed, for my Savior knows my name. It don't matter where you bury me. I'll be at home, and I'll be free. Gold and silver blind the eye, temporary riches die. Come and eat from heaven's store. come and drink and thirst no more. So weep not for me, my friend, when my time below those end. For my life belongs to him who will raise the dead. Interesting fact, both Della's dad and my parents, their final resting place of their earthly remains is at the exact same place in Bushnell, Florida, and because of their service in the military, this, the, the irony of that is that our parents will be laid to rest in the same place, and we're going to go see that ultimately but I've not been in a real big hurry uh, to go there because that's not where my parents are. And that's not where her dad, Arnold Schnabel, is. And that temporary casing that was theirs while they were here is going to be far, far better. Their immortal body glory. And so let maybe these thoughts give us some perspective about our hope. Gird your minds for action. Focus your heart. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope Again, what does that leave out? Put all of your eggs in the eternity basket. You'll be glad you did. Is there someone tonight who needs to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Would you come into union with him? Put your faith and trust in him as 1 Peter talks about. Your soul's purified in obedience to the truth, he would go on to say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, this is all the impetus you need to say, I'm done with sin. I'm done with emptiness and vanity, and I'm going to turn unto the Lord where there is forgiveness and hope and salvation. And I'm going to confess the name of Jesus. You know, for a long time, people would come forward and I say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And they said, I do. It's almost like marriage. Well, baptism is the believer's wedding ceremony, if you think about it. But that's all you'd get out of them, I do. And so I stopped asking the question that way. Now I'm asking the question this way. What do you believe about Jesus? I do. No, that really doesn't work as an answer to that question. I want them to say something about their faith in Jesus because I, I figured out something about this thing called confession that we talk about. Why, why do we have to confess Jesus with our lips? And you've probably heard this probably from Leon and Drew that in Matthew 10 and verse 32, he confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven, he who denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That That verse is something involves something greater than just the confession before you're baptized. Have you heard that before? And that's right. And it occurs to me, why does does Jesus have us confess with our lips? Because when we do that, as we come into union with him, that's just the beginning. That's just the first time that we confess his name. We need to start doing it right at the very beginning. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. He's my King. And if you come to confess Jesus, I might recommend you say a lot more than I do. Always oh, that a confession? Yeah, I guess in some sense it is. But, but let's say even more. I believe in Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my King. He's my hope. Because when you get out there in the world, you're going to need to be able to verbalize that too. And then, because of your absolute deep confidence in Jesus, because you know you need to turn from vanity to serve a living and true God, because you have confessed with your lips before men your new loyalty, you are then baptized in likeness of Jesus' death, Because of your confidence in the resurrection, you believe that when you are immersed, you will rise to walk in newness of life, just as he was raised from the dead. You know, people, baptism is not divorced from faith. And you know how I know that? I've had people come in front of an assembly like this. They're in tears. They're sobbing. They realize they are undone in their sins. And then I baptize them into Christ. And they come up out of the water and and it's either tears, of joy, or it's smiles and rejoicing. You know what that says? That says faith. That's what it says. They know that they have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I love that. Union with him. And then the journey. All the way. Pat Riley was one of the deacons at the Dallin Road Church in Beaumont when I got there, and he was a young man at the time. He's the guy that taught me how to play 42. Man, that guy was good. I'm glad I learned from somebody who was that good. I'm not that good, but but he was good. He was known as the best 42 player at Dallin Road. We were sitting in a Bible class, and I was reading from Matthew 6 later on in the Sermon on the Mount, and lay up not for yourselves treasures on the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he says, Tony, I believe those are the most important verses of the New Testament. And you know, I couldn't disagree with that. And you know what? My friend and brother Pat Riley is now experiencing that truth. Because he developed cancer several years ago, and it took his life here, and he's now experiencing those treasures. I have every confidence. Roger knows Brother Pat. Running the race. You ever heard the name J.R. Bronger? I know Leon has. You ever heard his name? Preacher of the gospel. What a guy. He's had some health issues lately. Uh, He runs marathons. And he was running a half marathon, and he meets this guy prior to the race. And the guy said, this is my first ever marathon. Oh, that's great. That's great. And uh, so they had a conversation. And after the race was over, he, he goes and he finds this guy after the finish line. And he said, well, how would you do? And your, if you knew JR, you know, he'd, he'd be just like that. How would you do? And he says, well, you know, when, when I started the race, it was mile marker to mile marker. He said, as, as the race went on, I was going like uh, stoplight to stoplight. And then as it went a little further, I was going block to block. And he said, i got to tell you, by the end I was just going crack to crack. <laughs> and sometimes in life's race, You just have to go from crack to crack. All the way to the end. If anyone needs to respond to the invitation of the gospel tonight that we've talked about, come now as we stand and we sing.